0: Section number thirty three of Cambridge Medieval History, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All the LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Emanuela Cambridge Medieval History, Volume One. Section thirty three chapter nine the teutonic migrations three hundred and seventy eight four hundred and twelve by m manitius part two the innate pride of greeks and romans alike was deeply wounded by this situation and the very insignificant occurrence in the year three hundred and ninety sufficed to make their hatred burst into flames it happened in the following way. Botheric, the commandant of the town, had imprisoned a very popular charioteer and refused to set him free when the people clamored for his deliverance because of the approaching circus games. This caused a rising against the obnoxious barbarian in which he lost his life. At the time of this incident, the Emperor Theodosius was at Milan, where he had frequent intercourse with the influential Bishop Ambrose. This was not without its effect upon him, though, in his innermost heart, the Emperor, as a secular autocrat, could not but be opposed to ecclesiastical pretensions. Although Theodosius inclined by nature to leniency, or at any rate made a show of that quality, in this case at least wrath overcame every human feeling in him, and he resolved to chastise the town in a way so cruel that nothing can be put forward in defense of it. When the people of Thessalonica were assembled in the circus and absorbed in contemplation of the games, Soldiers suddenly broke in and cut down all whom their swords could reach For three hours the slaughter went on till the victims numbered seven-thousand The Emperor himself urged perhaps to mercy by Ambrose had at the last hour revoked his order But it was too late Probably Theodosius had been led to this unspeakable cruelty by persons of his intimate acquaintance, among whom Rufinus played a prominent part. It seems that Rufinus had been magister officiorum. since 382, and 392 he rose to the position of Praefectus Pretorio. When the news of this massacre reached Milan, the Christian population of the town was paralyzed with terror. Ambrose left the town and addressed a letter of the utmost gravity to Theodosius. He explained to him that his deed called for penitence and warned him not to attend at church. The proud sovereign perceived that he would have to submit to the penitence imposed on him and obey the bishop's will He did not leave Milan till the following year But before returning to the eastern capital he had to sustain a dangerous attack from the Goths in Thrace. in 390 the Visigoths broke the peace to which they had sworn and invaded Thrace and other tribes from beyond the Danube had thrown in their lot with them. They were commanded by Alaric, a prince of the Visigoths belonging to the family of the Balti. This is the first appearance of Alaric, who was then about twenty years of age, and whose great campaigns subsequently excited such terror throughout the Roman Empire but even then the thracians appeared to have been in great distress for first july three hundred and ninety one theodosius issued an edict at aquileia by which the inhabitants of the endangered district received permission to carry arms and to kill anybody found marauding in the open country after theodosius had entered the province he took great pains to destroy the bands of murderers, and cells assisted in their pursuit on the maritza however he fell into an ambush and was completely defeated even his life seems to have been in danger but he was rescued by his general promotus the latter continued the war against the goths till the end of 391 Though he had apparently fallen into disfavor at court, he lost his life in the war, and public opinion at the capital attributed his death to Rufinus. Stilicho, the Vandal, now became commander of the troops in Thrace. He was born about three hundred and sixty and had, at an early age, been attached to an embassy to persia afterwards theodosius had given him his niece serena in marriage and promoted him step by step he was considered to be one of the able statesmen in the eastern empire and the military command entrusted to him in three hundred ninety two was destined to increase the importance of his position for he succeeded at length in defeating the enemy, who for so long a time had been the terror of the empire. The Goths were surrounded on the Maritza. But again the emperor showed mercy and gave orders that the enemy should be permitted to go free. Theodosius' policy may probably be attributed to a certain fear of revenge and it was doubtless influenced by rufinus who did not wish Stilicho to become too powerful thus a treaty with the vanquished goth was concluded meanwhile arbogast had embarked upon a most ambitious course of politics his aim was to get rid of the young and irresolute valentinian the second not indeed that he himself wished for the imperial crown for he very likely felt its possession to be indesiderable his idea was to get Valentinian the second out of the way and then assist to the imperial throne some one of his ardent devotees under whose name he himself hoped to wield the supreme power for the attainment of this end his first requisite was a trustworthy army he therefore levied a large number of teuton troops in whose loyalty he could place the utmost confidence when valentinian took up his abode in gaul the relations between him and the powerful frank became more and more strained till finally the emperor from his throne handed to his rival a written order demanding that he should resign his post arbogast tore the document in pieces before the eyes of the emperor whose days were thenforth numbered on 15 of may 392 the youthful sovereign was assassinated at vienne but whether Arbogast was directly responsible for this deed remains uncertain. The way was now clear for the Frank's ambitious plans. A short time previously, the Frank Ricomer had recommended to his tribesman Arbogast the head of the imperial chancery, the Magister Scriniorum, Eugenius. This Roman, formerly a rhetorician and Grammarian, was the man whom Arbogast intended to raise to the imperial throne. Eugenius could not but yell to the mighty man's wish. He therefore sent an embassy to Theodosius in 392 to obtain his recognition. But Theodosius gave an evasive answer and as there was every prospect of a war arbogast deemed it necessary to make provision for a safe retreat we know that the neighborhood of the franks formed a very vulnerable point of the roman government in gaul for this reason in the winter of three hundred and ninety two arbogast undertook a campaign against these dangerous neighbors he probably hoped at the same time to reinforce his army with frankish troops should he be successful in this war he pushed on through Cologne and the country along the river lippe into the territory of the buchery and chamavi after which he turned eastward against the ampsivarii who had joined forces with the Chatti under marcomir apparently he met with but little resistance for in the spring of 393 eugenius succeeded in concluding treaties with the franks and even the alemanni on condition that they supplied him with troops the ensuing period was spent in preparations for war in both empires, Eugenius having been, thanks to Arbogast's influence, recognized as emperor in Italy also. Theodosius had reinforced his army more especially with Teutons. The Visigoths were again commanded by Alaric, whilst the leaders of the other federati were Gainas, and the comes domesticorum bacurius an armenian the meeting of the two armies took place on the 5th of september 394 on the frigidus a tributary of the isonza probably the hubel as the gothic troops formed the vanguard and opened the attack on the enemy who were posted very favorably they suffered severe losses on the first day of the battle which greatly elated the westerns on the second day the battle would in all probability have been decided in favor of arbogast had not his general arbitrio who commanded the frankish troops gone over to theodosius it is related besides that a violent storm from the northeast the bora as it is called wrought such havoc in the ranks of eugenius's army that it helped theodosius to gain a complete victory eugenius was taken prisoner and put to death and arbogast escaped into the mountains where he died by his own hand the eighth of september but whilst the relations and followers of eugenius and arbogast were pardoned alaric waited in vain for the post in the roman army which theodosius had promised him and when the seventeen of january three hundred and ninety five theodosius died at milan still in the prime of life the goths were sent home by stilicho who had been second in command during the war to make matters worse the yearly payments which had hitherto been made to the goths were now injudiciously held back these various causes combined to disturb the peace between the romans and goths which had so far been tolerably well preserved and the goths once more commenced hostilities The time for a general rising seemed to be well chosen. Theodosius, whose strong hand had endeavoured to maintain the peace within the empire, was now no more, and his sons were yet of tender age. The late emperor had been the last to reign over the whole empire, and even he, powerless to stay its decline, had been obliged to cede to the goths an extensive district within its borders how important the teutonic element had grown can best be understood from the fact that the teutons not only furnished the best part of the troops but also commanded the armies and held the highest appointments both civil and military now that theodosius was dead the empire was divided for ever. At an age of hardly eighteen years, his son, Arcadius, received the Empire of the East under the guidance of Rufinus, who had, in 394, during the absence of Theodosius, been entrusted with the regency as well as with the supreme direction of Arcadius. On 27th of April 395, to rufinus's great vexation the young emperor married eudoxia who had been brought to him by eutropius the eunuch of the palace she was the daughter of bauto the frank who had played an important part under gratian and valentinian in the course of the same year rufinus was most cruelly slain by the soldiers whom gamas had but recently led back to constantinople after his death eutropius stood in high favor with the emperor he received the office of high chamberlain prepositus Sacri Cubiculi, and later on the title patricius the younger son honorius who was in his eleventh year received the western empire stilicho was appointed his guardian and also regent he had been raised to the rank of magister utriusque Militiae by theodosius before his death and as we saw had married a niece of the emperor this capable man was no doubt better fitted than any other to rule the empire and the spirit of theodosius and when the emperor died It was he who, without delay, hurried to the Rhine to receive homage, for Honorius from the Teuton tribes, even as far as the Batavi. Apparently, on this journey, King Markomir was delivered into his hands and was sent into exile to Tuscany. After this, Stilicho immediately returned to Italy. Meanwhile, the Visigoths had broken loose from moesia those of their tribesmen who had formerly accompanied alaric to transylvania had joined them and chosen alaric whose power at that time however was still limited as leader in the coming war this war was fraught with danger for the eastern empire for it appears that in the early spring of 395 the whole mass of the visigoths marched south towards constantinople as before there could of course be no question of capturing the city but the surrounding country was mercilessly devastated it is most probable that rufinus who paid the repeated visits to the hostile camp bribed the enemy to retire alaric now made his way along the coast to macedonia and thessaly near larissa he encountered Stilico, who had left Italy with strong forces. These were the victorious East Roman soldiers, whom he was leading home to their own country, hoping, at the same time, to win back Illyria for the Western Empire. This province, though given to Theodosius by Gratian, was said to have been restored by the former a short time before his death apparently the goths had first of all tried to gain the valley of the peneus the vale of tempi but meeting with resistance they had pushed on across the eastern slopes of olympus into thessaly where they barricaded themselves behind their wagons Stilicho was on the point of attacking them when he received a message from arcadius ordering him to dismiss the army of the eastern empire and himself return to italy if at the first sight disorder seems strange it is because we have long been accustomed to seeing stilicho a disinterested statesman and general who dedicated his labour and personality to the family of theodosius this disposition of eastern illyria which theodosius was supposed to have made shortly before his death, he is, however, very doubtful, and it is certain that Stilicho had entertained personal ambitions with regard to that province. Viewed in the light of these circumstances, the order from Arcadius appears in a very different light, especially if to this is added the fact that in the same year the Huns had broken through the gates of the caucasus at baku on the caspian sea and reached syria by way of armenia there they laid siege to antioch and proceeded thence to asia minor ravages of every kind marked their way in this situation it was an absolute necessity for the welfare of the state that the army should return to its own country Stilico obeyed the order because as has justly been remarked he was probably uncertain about the future conduct of the east roman troops a section of whom remained in greece under gerontius command to cover Thermopylae. alaric however assisted perhaps by treachery took possession of this famous pass without difficulty after this the Goths marched through Boeotia into Attica. Here Alaric succeeded in sizing the Piraeus and forced Athens to capitulate by cutting off her supplies. It is probable that she escaped pillage by the payment of a sum of money. Alaric stayed for a short time peacefully within her walls. From Athens the march of the Goths was continued to Eleusis, where they ransacked the temple of Demeter and farther to Megara, which was quickly taken. Gerontius had left the entrance to the Peloponnesus undefended, and the Gothic hordes, meeting with no resistance, broke like a torrent upon Corinth and Thence on Argos and Sparta. Many an ancient work of art. Must have perished in this rush but no mention is made of any systematic and willful destruction of the ancient monuments it is a curious fact that after all these the east roman government seems neither to have made war against the huns who had invaded asia nor to have lent assistance to the greeks when gerontius had so utterly failed to do his duty at Thermopylae and the Isthmus. Help came rather from another quarter, and primarily it must be owned with a different purpose in view. Though Stilicho had returned to Italy, he had been kept well informed about events in Greece, as he himself had designs on East Illyria to which epirus and achaia belonged and as alaric was to all appearances endeavouring to create an independent sovereignty in these provinces it was imperative for the visurgents of the west to interfere in three hundred and ninety seven he transported an army to greece and landing on the south side of corinth expelled the goths from arcadia and surrounded them at Elis near the Alpheus, on the plateau of Fole. But no decisive battle was fought, for Stilicho was not sufficiently master of his own troops, and just then the revolt of the Moorish prince Gildo threatened to become a serious danger to the Western Empire. Gildo had formerly been prefect of Mauritania, and had subsequently been raised to the office of magister utriusque militie in the year three hundred and ninety four he began his revolt whereby he intended to secure the north coast of africa as a dominion of his own and in three hundred and ninety seven he offered africa as a feudal province to the eastern empire hoping thereby kindle war between the two empires. In this predicament Stilicho avoided a decisive encounter with the Goths. For the second time he allowed his adversary to escape. He even concluded a treaty with Alaric, which doubtless contained an alliance against the Eastern Empire, for in these precarious circumstances the chief of the brave gods might possibly prove of great service to stilicho in his ambitious private policy the effect of these conditions on the mutual relations of the two empires was soon apparent at constantinople stilicho was declared an enemy of the state whilst in the western empire the consulship of eutropius who had been nominated for three hundred and ninety-nine and had entirely won the favor of Arcadius was not acknowledged before his death theodosius had so arranged the division of the empire that the cohesion of the whole might for the future be firmly and permanently secured thus the first deep cleft had been made in an union which was already difficult to maintain Neither empire had a permanent diplomatic representation. Only special embassies were sent from time to time, so that unfounded suspicions were very likely to arise on either side. At this time, while Stilicho was sailing back in haste from Greece to Italy to prepare for war against Gildo, the Goths made a raid into Epirus, which they devastated in a terrible manner at last the government at constantinople was roused sufficiently to make proposals of peace to alaric in return for a sum of money and the position of magister militum in illyria alaric withdrew from the alliance with stilicho made peace with the eastern empire and occupied epirus which had been assigned to him with his gothic troops Another trouble for the Eastern Empire at this time arose from the large number of Goths who served in the army, and more especially through their leader, Gainas. At his command, they had killed Rufinus in 395. When Eutropius did not reward him for his services with the high military office he coveted, he joined a rebellion of his compatriot, Tribigild, in Phrygia, against whom he had been sent out with an army for after the fall and execution of the powerful favorite eutropius in the summer of three hundred and ninety-nine a national movement was set on foot at constantinople having for its object the abolition of foreign influence in the high government offices aurelianus Eutropius' successor, was at the head of this movement, but the Roman supremacy was not destined to be revived. The Gothic rebellion in Asia Minor grew more and more alarming, and Arcadius was soon obliged to negotiate with Gainas. During an interview with the emperor, the Goth succeeded in obtaining his nomination to the post of magister militum presentalis and the extradition of the three leaders of the national party one of whom was aurelianus on his subsequent return to the capital Gainas could consider himself master of the empire and as such demanded of the emperor a place of worship for the arian gods but the famous theologian and bishop john chrysostom contrived to avert this danger to the orthodox church but the power of gynas was not to be of long duration when in july four hundred he left the town with the majority of the Goths, owing to a feeling of insecurity the inhabitants arose against those who had been left behind at last no refuge remained to them Except the church they had lately been given. In its ruins they were burned, as Gynas failed to come to their rescue in time to storm the city. Gynas was declared a public enemy, and the pursuit was entrusted to his tribesman, Pravitta, who so far carried out his order that he followed Gynas to Thrace and the Hellespont, and prevented him from crossing to Asia eventually at the end of the year four hundred Gainas was killed on the farther side of the danube by a chief of the huns called ulding who sent his head to constantinople nothing is more characteristic of the impotence of the eastern empire than the revolt of this gothic general whose downfall was only secured by a combination of favorable circumstances the clever and valiant goth succumbed only to strangers the empire itself had no means to overthrow him such were the conditions at the dawn of the new century the last twenty-five years of the old having brought nothing but war poverty and the population to the eastern empire it is true that for the western empire The century had closed more favorably. The campaign against Gildo especially had been prepared by Stilico with characteristic ability. This Moorish prince, after putting to death the sons of his brother Maschitzel, who had gone to Italy, had proceeded to conquer the north of Africa. Only the large and fortified towns could resist his ever-increasing power. He created great anxiety in Rome by cutting off her African corn supply. But the danger of famine was averted by Stilico, who succeeded in having corn brought by sea from Gaul and Spain. When his preparations for war were completed, Stilico did not at this critical time put himself at the head of the army, but resigned the supreme command to mash itself. The army was not large, but it seems that Silico relied upon the skill of its commander for entering into secret relations with the leaders of the enemy. Machitzel departed for Africa, where the campaign was decided between Teveste and Amedera on the Ardelio, a tributary of the Bragradas. Apparently, no real battle was fought, but Gildo's troops went over to the enemy or fled into the mountains. Gildo himself first tried to escape by sea, but returned to land and soon after met his death at Tabraca. These wars against the two rebels, Gainas and Gildo, so excited the imagination of the contemporary world that they formed the subject of many poetical productions. Of these, the Egyptians or, on providence, a novel by Cinesius of Cyrene, and Claudian's war against Gildo, are preserved. With the year 401, however, there began for the Western Empire a period similar to that which the Eastern Empire had already so long endured. The Teutons began to press forward in dense masses against the provinces of the Western Empire, which they had so long spared, and finally effected the complete dissolution of that once so mighty realm. But this time the disturbance did not proceed from the Goths only. Other tribes also were involved in the movement, which could no longer be restrained, and the danger to the empire grew in proportion. In the first place, Alaric had made use of the short time of his alliance with the eastern empire to increase his power chiefly by rearming his gods from the roman arsenals his plan of founding an independent kingdom for himself in greece had failed and it probably seemed most tempting to him to transfer his attentions to italy whose resources were not yet so completely drained by the Goths, No doubt Stilicho ruled there with a firm hand. He had, in 398, created for himself an unassailable position by giving his daughter Maria, a mere child, a marriage to the Emperor Honorius, who was then fourteen years of age. But apparently, Alaric did not fear the power of Stilicho, who had twice allowed him to escape from a most critical position. Furthermore, the Western Empire was just now engaged in a different direction. In the year 401, the Vandals, who had long ago settled in the regions between the Danube and the Thais, began to grow restless. On account of their increasing population, the majority of them had resolved to emigrate with their king Godigizel, retaining at the same time the right of possession over their old dominions. They were joined by Alani from Pannonia, and in the same year, this new wave of migration reached Retia by way of Noricum. Stilicho at first opposed them. But was eventually obliged to grant them territories in Noricum and Vindelicia, under the suzerainty of Rome, in return for which they bound themselves to serve in the Roman army. By this time, Alaric had already left Epirus far behind and reached Aquileia by way of Emona and the Burnbound Forest. This invasion of Italy by the barbarians caused great consternation, the fortifications of Rome were repaired and strengthened, and the young emperor Honorius even contemplated an escape into Gaul. Venezia was already in the enemy's hands, and the road to Milan was occupied by the gods. As Honorius was staying in this city, Alaric naturally desired above all to take possession of it, but Stilicho came to the rescue. He had reinforced his army with the Vandals and Alani, with whom he had just made peace, and Alaric was forced to abandon the siege of Milan. He now tried to gain the coast in order to reach Rome. With Stilicho at his heels, he turned to Ticinum and Hasta, and thence to Pollentia. Here, sixth of April, four hundred and two. A battle was fought in the early stages of which it seemed likely that the Romans would be defeated, as Saul, the Roman general of the Alani, had begun the battle prematurely. But the appearance of Stilico with the main body of infantry changed the aspect of affairs. The fight was continued until nightfall but though the romans were left in possession of the field and took numerous prisoners stilicho can hardly be said to have gained a victory for alaric's forces retreated in perfect order and were able to continue the march on rome in this crisis stilicho was obliged to come to terms with alaric the gothic chief was raised to the rank of magister militum and promised to evacuate italy for the future the two generals arranged to conquer eastern illyria for the western empire this treaty which put a considerable check on the movements of the goths is explained not only by the state of affairs at that time but also by the fact that alaric's wife and children had been made prisoners during the battle the goths now left italy but remained close to the frontier and made a fresh invasion in 403 this time alaric tried to lay siege to verona but was defeated by stilicho and on trying to gain rezia by way of the brenner again found himself in a very dangerous plight from which he could only extricate himself by concluding a new treaty with stilicho against the eastern empire probably it was at this juncture that Sarus, the visigothic prince with his followers, went over to Stilicho. a desertion which must be ascribed to Stilicho's diplomatic skill. The uncertainty of the situation may account for the very remarkable fact that Stilicho suffered the enemy to escape so often from his fatal embrace. Be that as it may, the Goths withdrew, and Stilicho could celebrate a brilliant triumph with Honorius. Alaric, however, does not appear to have returned to Epirus till much later, but remained for some time in the neighborhood of Illyria. End of section thirty three. Recording by Emanuela.